Hello and welcome to the TBG Real Estate Podcast, where we connect you with some of the most innovative and exciting real estate leaders today. We will show you that there are numerous paths to a successful career in the real estate industry, and that some of your greatest missteps can be turned into your greatest triumphs. Without further ado, here's the head of TBG Real Estate, Chris Papa. All right, folks, welcome to this episode of the TBG Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, Chris Papa, and today we have two very special guests. Usually we have one, but today we have two. Today we have Mr. Andrew Basham. Andrew is with Spyrock Real Estate and Zach Frederick. Zach is with Crescent Development, both out of Richmond, Virginia. How are you guys doing today? Great. Thanks for having us. Thanks for being doing here, guys. Thank you very much. We're going to do, do the two guest experiment, see if it works out. I figured- Glad we can uh, see each other. Zach, let me talk first and then you can talk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to that. <laughs> I hope yeah, it seems like they know each other, which is nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, the reason are... the reason we wanted to both come on here is because really, you know, the story is Zach got us into the affordable housing business. Um, and so you reached out to me, but really, you know, Zach is the expert uh, on the yeah. subject. So we we're we have a partnership, sort of a strategic JV, and we've been doing this for a couple of years. Um, I started my career actually in Northern Virginia in the affordable housing business doing uh, low-income housing tax credit uh, deals there. And um, the company I worked for diversified sort of out of that, uh, that sector uh, and into some other things. And, and then I moved to Richmond um, in 2007 and uh, started Spyrock with my partner Taylor Williams in 2009. And then New Zach um, from Richmond and, you know, Zach sort of got us into the game. Nice. Yeah. I mean, the purpose of just to give you a backstory, like I've been doing this impact real estate series and it's highlighting people within affordable housing and or trying to address the affordability issues in housing. It doesn't have to be necessarily affordable housing. And uh, just to kind of show as a recruiter, I've been doing recruiting for real estate for 16 years and people have like the people really don't know what affordable housing is. You know what I mean? And so I was kind of wanted to show there's different career trajectories and kind of explain what a tax credit is and how it works and all that kind of stuff. Cause frankly, like I didn't know that much about it either. Um, so, uh, just trying to find people within the industry who can kind of talk about that and just real estate in general. So, um, Zach, how about yourself? You uh, you're with Crescent Development. That's your that's your shop. Uh, you you only do affordable housing. That's what I like to say. But uh, you know, I'm opportunistic and I I go after you know any any good deal that that comes across my desk. I, I began my real estate career as a as a commercial broker, uh, focused on kind of owner occupant and investment sales, and that's where I I uh, met up with Andrew. And um, you know, 2008 2009 happened. Not a whole lot of investment sales happening, so I was lucky enough to to um, team up with a, a guy here in town who did uh, LIHTC consulting in Puerto Rico, of all places. And and so for the next five or six years, I would fly back and forth and um, you know really just learn the industry ins and outs. And I had a great teacher, um, and then woke up one day and said, "I can I can put the uh, the brokerage experience together and the affordable housing development together." And I started my company. And what is the biggest difference from doing your know, market rate development to 
affordable housing development since you guys do both so in my in my opinion you know there's there's um you always have to answer to the market study in the light tech and you always have to answer to the investor in in light tech versus you know um my perception of market rate developers they they're, they're a little bit pioneering more so and, and cowboys and say you know what i believe that this site is a good multifamily site market rate multifamily site and i'm going to do it and so they they stick their necks out and then you know they're either successful or they fail in in light tech there's so many people looking at these things forwards and backwards that um you know you're not going to get off the ground if if there's not a market or you're trying to be pioneering or a cowboy and and um you know the the people who are contributing a major source of equity don't believe it and so to me that's that's the main difference you know andrew um you know he has a a, a bit much better resume in the market rate world so he could probably elaborate more but uh from yeah my i mean uh, I, I would say that uh that's that is correct. Um, we have a lot more um, uh, cooks in the kitchen, certainly on the affordable housing side. Um, you know, it, it's a little bit more like we do some hotel development too. It's a little bit more like that. You know, you've got a market study, you got to fit in the box. If you're going to have a flag, you got to have the flag buy in on the concept and the product. They got to look at the analysis that's typically done by a third party to say whether or not the market's there. <clears throat> if you can get past that. Um, you know, then you're then you're pretty much off to the races. But uh, it's I think it's very prescriptive the affordable housing um, business and and particularly in the if you're playing with uh, within that low income housing tax credit space. Um, we, you know, we've tried. Um, we, we we do we're we do both market rate deals, but we also have a, a lender in Virginia, uh, formerly the Virginia Housing Development Authority, now known as Virginia Housing that has um, one of the highest bond ratings, my understanding of a, of a housing authority in the country. And so they've got, <clears throat> they issue a lot of tax exempt bonds. They also issue taxable bonds. Um, and the taxable bonds we marry up um, with some of our market rate deals. And so those wind up being quasi mixed income, I'd say. I mean, they have, you know, we're, we have a certain percentage of like 80% of median area income and the balance of our, our, our prop, prop, uh, income qualification is, is usually either at 120% or it is uncapped. Um, so, you know, I think what we what we do on the Spyrock side is we sort of bridge that gap all the way along the spectrum, you know, from higher end um, market rate stuff all the way down to, um, you know, deeper affordability with uh, the low income housing tax credit program. And it's just, it's a, it's a, just a more challenging um, thing, as you know, uh, to build affordable housing. And we, uh, we think it's um, necessary, certainly in the markets that we're, uh, where we're doing it. And, and we obviously have demand for it. There hasn't been um, uh, a consistent uh, pipeline of new development of affordable housing or preservation for that matter. And I would say in Virginia, are you looking solely in Virginia? Is that where you kind of do all your, all your work? Yeah. I mean, we haven't, we haven't certainly on the affordable housing side, haven't looked out of state The the state, you know, I know people that do affordable housing development in, uh, California and, you know, this is a walk in the park compared to that. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. um, 
we uh, we like to be within a few hours radius. And I think that, you know, Virginia in general is very state has a very stable economy. We have a lot of military here and got a really good higher education, lots of uh, um, good schools that, you know, I think feed the uh, the workforce and, and whether you're in Northern Virginia or Central Virginia or sort of Southeast down in Virginia Beach, Norfolk area, there's um, <clears throat> there's plenty uh, of work to go around. Um, sure. And Zach, I mean, you, you, you've not outside of Puerto Rico, you've spent your whole, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I believe strongly that real estate is, is local and we, you know, we've invested you know, 10 plus years into knowing not only the physical layout of this region, but also the, the professional and personal layout of, of the region. And, you know, I think that's why, you know, I think we're successful in it. Uh, you know, Andrew is going to kick me, but, you know, Richmond's demographics are, are really going through the roof. <laughs> and, and, you know, I can, I'm not scared of, of inviting national developers down here because, you know, we've got this 10 year head start on them that, that I don't think, you know, can be challenged. And why did you guys come together? Andrew, did you get like, did you find an affordable deal or like, how did, how did that work? It was, it was the, the, yeah, the inverse of that actually, Zach had a deal tied up and, um, you know, we've got a pretty, our operations been in business for, you know, uh, 11 years now. So we've got a team and, uh, know the process here and done a lot of work in the city of Richmond. And Zach had a deal that, uh, that was intriguing and he, uh, offered, uh, a partnership to us. So it was a neat deal. You guys want to dig into that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. It's, um, it's right in Chaco Valley here in Richmond. Uh, it was about a 50,000 square foot, uh, old warehouse. Um, and it came along with, you know, two and a half, three acres of additional, just undeveloped land. Um, I had taken it through the, um, the historic, uh, designation process, taken it through the, the rezoning process, kind of put together my set of projections and a package and, and really went out searching for a partner because I don't have the technical skills, uh, that Andrew and Taylor do to, to actually, you know, execute on the construction and, and the net worth and, uh, liquidity requirements that are that go along with with you know effectuating a, a thirty million dollar development. So uh, I was lucky enough to to have known Andrew back then and and uh, put together my my deck and shot it over to them and they they were intrigued and we were off to the races. Gotcha. And then what do you, yeah. you guys do with that? Property? We get some new new construction. Yeah. So we did the we adaptively reuse the the historic building. Um, we get sixty. 53 in the historic building and then 111 in the new construction. So one yeah, so 164 units. Oh, nice. <clears throat> and we had a hard time selling uh, the investors and the lenders, frankly, uh, initially on that deal because it, it is bifurcated by a, I don't know, 200 foot tall, 300 foot tall uh, bridge, uh, vehicular bridge. Uh, that goes uh, up into the VCU medical school area, and people people had trouble wrapping their brains around that, but uh, it's turned out great. Um, we just actually leased it up last week, hundred oh, nice. percent, or, or yeah, last weekend. Yeah, and there, 
So it was also in a flood zone. It, you know, it was, you know, just many challenges that, that, you know, looking back on it now, we probably wouldn't even endeavor to do it, but you know, at the yeah. time it, it, uh, my back was against the wall and we had to be successful. So um, I'm glad that we yeah. took the risk. They took the risk in me and, and uh, it turned out pretty well. So did they want to have, did the city or the state want to have affordable housing there and then kind of went out to different people to figure out how to fit it there? How does that work? Do you, or do you go to like, or do you go, is that usually the process or is the process a developer says, this is a great place for affordable housing. And then they go to the state or the state's just, who's, in, who's like, where does it start the deal? So it starts with the brokerage relationships and the brokerage community. So I, I through my connections, figured out that this piece of property was uh, available um, you know, I, I ran the initial projections say, you know what, uh, a lot of the market rate guys aren't looking at it because it's kind of, you know, not, a, not a class a site. And, and so I, I tied it up, I ran the projections and, um, you know, put, put our LIHTC application together and said, here, VHDA, uh, we believe this will be a, a great spot for affordable housing. It checks all the boxes. It scores appropriately and, and financially it works. So, yeah. And as Zach said, uh, he didn't have any technical skills. So little did he know what he was getting us into, <laughs> um, with all the, the challenges that, uh, that it had, but we got through it. Um, you know, the, the, the state of Virginia has a really good state historic tax credit. Mm -hmm. And when you pair that historic tax credit with the federal, historic tax credit, you get about 45% uh, of your cost back in credits between the two. And then you layer in the low income housing tax credit and uh, those deals get pretty juicy. And we had done a bunch of these adaptive reuse projects before uh, Taylor and I at Spyrock. And so we certainly weren't intimidated by that, knew the process. Um, this one was unique because Zach had to actually go out and get the building designated historic. Uh, in the first place, because quite frankly, we're running out of, you know, historic buildings. Richmond was really built and has had a resurgence based on all these old warehouse mm -hmm. buildings that have been uh, converted to various uses, offices, apartments, hotels, those kinds of things. Um, and now that you know, we work through sort of that, uh, the, the, the easy pickings of, of those buildings, and now we're down to much more complicated um, projects like the the warehouse that we talked about earlier that we converted over in Manchester. What is on those applications, those tax credit applications? Like you said, you had to fill out those applications, see if you can get it, those tax credits. Like what are you, what are they looking for? They're looking for promises uh, of what the end product will be and who it will serve. Um, for instance, you know, there's, there's choices of income and rent, um, percentages that you go for, for 40% AMI, 50% AMI, 60% AMI, and so forth. And then also serving special needs um, and, and just a whole host of energy efficiencies and, and kind of design and development uh, criteria that, that they want in order to, to provide this tax incentive. Because the last thing they want is, you know, some, some greedy developer coming in and and building a substandard product for you know lower income folks, and that's just not equitable, and and that's that's why there's these um, these requirements. Gotcha. And there was there was a lack of affordable. Is there a lack of affordable housing in Richmond, just like everywhere? And then 
Is yes. there more to be built there? Yeah. How does that work? Do you have a lot, a lot of certain amount per year or like, can you just keep going and is it ever filled up with too much affordable housing? Has that ever happened? In my mind, no. I, you know, there's certainly statistics out there that says there's, you know, we could absorb 20,000 uh, over the next 10 years or, or something to that amount. Andrew, I know, has been uh, intimately involved in that. Um, but yeah, there's there's a significant demand. Um, just unfortunately, there's not enough resources to produce and satisfy that demand. And, uh, you know, we're doing the best we can with what we've got, but it's it's woefully inefficient. Very yeah, it's like a sort of like a perfect storm has happened in maybe the last five years where it used to be that the delta between uh, a quote unquote affordable rent, um, you know, and a market rate rent was was pretty small. So, um, you know, I don't think there was a perception that we had a deep affordable housing need here. And as Richmond has grown, um, <clears throat> you know, both by population and also by income, as our median area income has gone up, um, we've, we've started to see a much bigger delta between you know, that traditional market rate uh, rent and an affordable rent. Um, but then what happens, of course, is that drives up uh, land costs. So demand for um, you know, development sites has increased and more and more people, of course, there are far more people trying to build market rate housing than affordable housing. Uh, has has pushed up land price, and uh, and then we've you know we've had a lot of inflationary pressure on construction costs just over the last you know certainly since two thousand eight nine maybe maybe really since two thousand eleven uh, and twelve significant uh, cost increases. So to, to Zach's point about resources, a lot of folks who do this need to find opportunities where they can sort of plug the, the hole in their capital stack with these other resources that are out there. Um, and as Zach said, there aren't very many of them. And, you know, we've been creative because we've used like the historic tax credit, for example, uh, to, to be that, um, that bridge that gap. And now some of the things that we're doing is looking at larger scale sites that have multiple different uses on them. Um, and that allows us to drive down the basis in the land that we attribute to um, the affordable housing uh, component. So Zach, maybe a good segue to talk a little bit about, you know, the, the Henrico Plaza deal, which is a, I think a good model. Please. Yeah, so uh, Henrico Plaza is um, about 27 acres, former um, shopping center that, that had been demolished, I don't know, 10 years ago or so. And, you know, it's just really been sitting there and, and causing you know issues with the county and i saw an opportunity and so uh you know i was able to to get control of it and and you know over the time over the time we've studied it have um, programmed it out to have a, a mix of of kind of mid-market uh for sale townhome products some commercial out parcels and then um a, a mix uh of of one, two, and three bedroom uh, affordable housing units for rent. Um, so that, you know, uh, right now uh, looks looks to be a, a productive model that hopefully we can reproduce going forward. Yeah, I mean, one, one of the things that I learned early in the business, fortunately, and I also had a great mentor, um, 
was um, that, you know, it's good to specialize, but diversification is also good. Mm-hmm. And so I think our, what, what we have brought to the table is Zach's real specialization in affordable housing and our company's diversity, which allows us to, you know, we have in our portfolio now, we have industrial, we have hotel, we have um, restaurants, we have um, market rate multifamily. I've got a hair salon. Uh, Don't forget about the urban winery. Ooh. Yeah, an urban winery that we uh, that we own, and um, and so affordable housing for us was just a diversification strategy, really. Um, you know, and obviously, at some level, we know we need it, and quite frankly, it's a little self serving and for some of our other product because the people who live in our affordable housing are the people who work in our stores, uh, our restaurants, our our industrial buildings for those businesses and frankly, our employees uh, on the property management side. Um, and so we, we need to make sure that those people can, you know, live alongside uh, everybody else uh, comfortably so that they can, um, you know, sort of help the overall economy and make sure that we've got a diversity in our housing stock and, and uh, also in, it allows us to help diversify the housing stock and, and make sure that those folks can have a place to live that's hopefully close to where they work, which is uh, obviously a big thing. And that's one of the other things about Richmond that's nice is we've got a state capital here, infrastructure system from a transportation side is built out probably I don't know, 50 years beyond uh, what it really needs to be. So, I mean, we don't have traffic here. Mm. People complain about sitting in traffic for five minutes. <laughs> it's nothing compared to, uh, you know, like a DC or a, Atlanta or uh, Houston uh, here is pretty bad yeah, my, these days, and certainly out on the West Coast. Yeah, my 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 family's in Houston right now, so yeah, I know about that traffic. So you you're talking about diversifying with affordable housing. It's affordable housing provides more like a steadier return. Is that kind of because I've I've been noticing my business as a recruiter, there's a big uptick in the affordable space, like firms building out, getting bigger over the last let's say year or so. Um, it's kind of on the end of the cycle. It seems like affordable gets a little more capital towards it comes a little more popular. Is that because it's just kind of like a stable or asset class? You think? I think that, uh, those firms are, are building out their platforms because, uh, maybe they, um, were anticipating a, a blue wave or, you know, a political environment where, you know, there's a lot more sources that, that go after to help this, significant demand of affordable housing shortage. So, um, so to answer that question, but yes, uh, from what I, um, can tell, you know, the, the affordable housing is upside down on the T chart for, with regard to, to market rate. So market rate, you know, you have higher, uh, cash flow and then you sell it and you get a big pop. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it's upside down for affordable housing. You get a developer fee payment up front, uh, and then you know smaller cash flow throughout the the life cycle. Um, so you know it's and the great thing about it too, you know, affordable housing, you don't really have owner equity. So so general partner equity at front to get get a project started. You know, our equity investment is is fifteen hundred dollars for a thirty million dollar deal. You know, that's that's just very uncommon uh, yeah. in the market rate space. 
Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that $1,500. It certainly feels like I'm putting out a lot more money than that before we yeah. get going. Pre-development, pre-development. Yeah, we're certainly shouldering. <laughs> yeah, I also think that, to, to, just Chris, I would also say that the uh, um, the other thing to me is that uh, we, we talked about this. I don't want to say there's unlimited demand, but it is... Uh, we know that we're going to be able to lease these apartments up. Um, and certainly there's some consistency to it as long as the local economy, wherever you're building is, has its own consistency. Um, but we are on the market rate side, as an example, I mean, we're competing against a ton of new product right now. We're doing a lease up right now and I've got another one in the neighborhood here in Richmond and there's, I don't know, four or 500 other apartment units that are sort of leasing up at the same time, not to mention the existing housing stock. So I think we're probably heading into a little bit of a flat rent situation on, uh, on the market rate side. And uh, I, I, that may be true on the affordable side too, but uh, certainly those apartments will stay full. But for new construction, affordable housing, you know, since the rents are capped, you know, folks who are, are paying, that capped rent elsewhere there's a flight to quality to a a new product so you know it doesn't there's a shift there's a a market shift and that opens up kind of the lesser the 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 uh, less desirable affordable housing or naturally occurring affordable housing to then be redeveloped into something else whether it be you know market rate or or affordable housing or something something totally different and what's the hold period for these type of, pro- I mean, isn't like a 15 year hold. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. 15 years, but you know, you're, you're signing up for, you know, a, a 30 year at a minimum um, uh, deed restriction on, on, on rents and incomes. It, and typically, at least in my playbook, it, it would be to hold for 15 years and then resyndicate it and, and refresh the property and, and hold it indefinitely really. And then is like, if you have a, you guys were talking about like mixed sort of developments where you have retail and some market rate and some affordable, like how does that come into play? Like you just have to keep that affordable side for 15 years and the other stuff you can just do whatever the hell you want with. Is that kind of how it works? Yeah, I think that's right. You know, uh, the, the example that Zach was, uh, talking about earlier, you know, we, we, we've got, you know, a hundred plus townhouse lots, right. And we're just going to, uh, develop those lots and sell them to a, a home builder. Um, and on the retail stuff, we can, you know, we'll have some pad retail out in front or maybe uh, even some office and um, uh, we'll develop that and then we'll decide whether or not we want to sell it or hold it. Um, and were we to do a, you know, non-affordable, uh, non-rent restricted market rate apartment uh, development on the site, we could refinance that and keep it or we could sell that too. So um, lots of, that is the one thing about the affordable housing is you're in it for the long haul. Once you're in it, um, if you're committed to it, you know, and um, Mm -hmm. I think that the, your, your exit options are very limited um, in today's world, but you know, maybe that'll change. I mean, I think that's part of the thing that we need to, we need to address is more flexibility on the back end um, on, you know, recapitalization and um, disposition and other options to incentivize more people to get into the business. What are the options now? 
Yeah, so you you can you can uh, you know buy out your your syndicator investor at, after the compliance period anywhere from you know year thirteen to year fifteen, and then you you just own it and you have to maintain the the um, deed restrictions with regard to, to rent and income for as long as you signed up at the initial application. You know, so fifteen years uh, before. And, you know, oftentimes these property need a significant refresh. So you, you have a choice to make either uh, refresh it by resyndicating and recasting out the affordable restrictions for another 30 years, 30 to 50 years, or use proceeds from refinance or, or just ultimately sell it, sell it to another operator of affordable housing. So there's a couple options out there, but, you know, the clock really doesn't start ticking on, on being to execute on any of those options until you know, you're 13, 14, 15. How, how much does the political climate play into the, the availability of affordable housing and the development of affordable housing? Is it, does it play a big part? Yeah, it does. It plays a huge part. Um, you know, the resources available, uh, it starts and ends with, with Congress and, and, um, you know, there's, what I have been told and what I read, there's there's significant bipartisan support to to really just uh, flood it with some some new capital and and try and catch up with this great deficit of of uh, uh, supply. But uh, unfortunately, the the timing hasn't been right for a number of years. Andrew jokes on me. I've been saying uh, a four percent floor, which you know, would would add about thirty percent to to our deals of equity has been uh, two months away for the past three years. So um, it's just a pretty significant flip of the switch that would allow me and us to go out and be competitive with market rate developers on on land acquisition uh, and put affordable housing not um, you know on, on the uh, kind of secondary sites, but really put it in the guts of 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 where where fun and, and exciting things are happening. Yeah, well, I would say that the you know, we're talking specifically about the low income housing tax credit program for the most part, but you know, there's lots of different forms of affordable housing, obviously, and it means different things to different people. Um, but there are many states where, <clears throat> if you're a developer, uh, you, you know, you're mandated to include affordable housing. Uh, so that would be what we call inclusionary zoning with respect to affordable housing. Um, and so in those cases, uh, it, it's almost um, like if you want to do a market rate deal, you've got to incorporate some affordable housing in it, whether you have those tools or not. And so we're fortunate in Virginia that we, we you know, at least in the markets we operate in, we do not have inclusionary zoning at this point. Uh, but there is, you know, talking about politics, a lot of uh, push um, to incorporate that into uh, into new projects. And putting my market rate hat on, I don't, I don't want that to happen. Um, and you know, the reason for that being that it, it, I think it, it sort of stifles some of the entrepreneurial uh, approach that developers have when they're not constrained by uh, politics. And um, yeah. And I think that, you know, we, you know, we're doing, we're doing affordable housing development and we're not mandated to do it. So uh, if I could be in a situation and somebody said, Hey, well, you have to build affordable housing in one of these projects, I would say, well, I'm building it elsewhere. So let's count that. 
you know. Um, so we'll see where it goes. But uh, when you talk about the blue wave, I do think you'll start to see a lot more um, focus on affordable housing. And and it, it is it is necessary. I mean, you have to acknowledge that. So um, uh, politics is a big piece of it. Yeah, I live in uh, Silicon Valley. And so, yeah, all, everything has to, I, 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 at least I've been hearing, like everything, I'm not a developer, but you hear everything's going to have this certain amount of affordable housing and developers up in arms. Like, well, it doesn't pencil out. We don't make any money if we have that. Is that is that something, is that a reason for market rate folks not to develop in areas like here? Like right now, like people are developing, but like, I think there'd be much more if it was just kind of more of a free market, right? And I think that's absolutely right. Um, you know, again, it, it, if you have an option, um, you can develop housing in Silicon Valley and not make any money because you have to do it a certain way, but certain mandates and restrictions on you, or you can go to you know, Colorado or you know, Virginia for that matter and not have to play by those same rules. That's what you're going to do. Are you going to do more affordable stuff, Andrew? Yeah, absolutely. Again, I mean, it's an important part of our, um, our sort of uh, business uh, diversification strategy now, and we like having it in the portfolio. It, we've got a, our own property management company, and so we can support the management company through the addition of affordable housing units. It's doing good, um, which I think is an important piece of it for us. Um, you know, when you can provide somebody with a house, a new nice um, house that they they can comfortably live in. I mean, that's great. Um, it allows them to focus on other things in their lives and, and not have to uh, necessarily worry about housing all the time. Now, some people would say that we're, you know, what we're, what we're, what we're doing is not hitting the most at-risk um, uh, population out there, uh, which is you know that very low-income uh, earner, um, and, and that's not part of our strategy right now could become part of it. But uh, uh, there again, the, the the less income you have, the more holes you have in your equity gap, um, at, in your equity stack. And so you, you need to fill that somehow. And the deeper the affordability, um, the more resources we would need to get there. What if I'm a real estate professional, and I'm interested in real estate, or I'm already in real estate, what are like, what are the biggest hurdles to get into a, a career in affordable housing and why do you think there's not as many people in this sector as, as there might be in other sectors it's complex i mean it's there's so many rules and regulations that you can easily get evaporated if you're unaware of it you know uh, it's kind of like uh my my mentor used to call it the pebble in the pond like there's just you know you throw one pebble in the pond it creates multiple multiple ripples throughout the entire uh, lake, and, and that's exactly what the rules and regulations do. So you recommend like going to Puerto Rico like you and just <laughs> hanging out and study, studying tax credits on the beach? Exactly. Yeah, everybody should do that. <laughs> I think um, you'll, I think there will be more and more people in it. I mean, I, you know, there's, uh, there's more and more education around it. I think, you know, um, when, when Zach and I were coming out of college, you know, you didn't have, you didn't even have a lot of, most schools didn't have real estate focuses as, as part of their curriculum, you know, universities and colleges. And, and that has changed dramatically. I don't, I don't know what it looks like today uh, exactly, but um, I, I hear all the time. I see resumes and you know, 
minor in real estate finance or, you know, MBA yeah. with a real estate focus where I actually went to get a master's in real estate. You know, those, those things are within the last, you know, 15 years really taking off. And I think, I think that'll push people uh, into the business a little bit more. And, and I'm sure there's got to be a lot of affordable housing education within those programs. Yeah, I've seen that too. It's uh, become big business now to teach about real estate. Um, now we're going to the next portion of our podcast, the hot seat. You guys ready? Bring it. Oh! The hot seat is sponsored by KK Reset. KK Reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. They do this through services, which include comprehensive consultation to identify gaps and opportunities for corporate training programs, HR services, and career mapping services. They've collaborated with nonprofits, startups, and academic organizations to protect them from liabilities, reduce turnover, and preserve their brands. They've also collaborated with a number of my clients on the real estate front who are not large enough to have their own in-house HR program. So they outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple days a week and provides you know everything you need from an HR perspective for your, for your firm. So it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com. K-K-R-E-S-E-T.com. Zach looks ecstatic. <laughs> now, I don't know if you guys want to answer these questions. One, one you want to go like Andrew first and Zach, or you guys want to do anything? Yeah, that, like, that's fine. Yeah. However you want to do it. You guys. You, I'll, go, I'll go first. We'll, we'll wing it here. Um, all right. So now the first question is any books you recommend, whether it's related to real estate, business, life, you name it. Now, again, I guess, Andrew, you want to go first? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, geez, what am I, what, what, what I'm trying to think what, uh, what would be a good one to throw out there. I recently read a, um, biography of Mao Zedong and, uh, was about like 900 pages long. <laughs> um, yeah. but I found it fascinating, um, just to, uh, it's called the unknown story. And, um, uh, it was, it was just fascinating to, uh, you know, to see how somebody could really take over an entire country like that. And, uh, it's, uh, ringing very near and dear to my heart these days, um, given our current political situation, which will, uh, apparently we're out of now. I don't know. We'll see. Um, and, and so I would say that I like to read, um, biographies. I like to read uh, uh, historic nonfiction, and I spend a lot of time um, in that space. I don't read a lot about business, and I don't read a lot about real estate, um, uh, at least not uh, books about it. Yeah. How about you, Zach? Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a huge book reader, but um, I do I do read lots of magazines. <laughs> like time Life, and <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, Novogratz puts book. out a great um, uh, tax credit magazine that I, you know, read read pretty religiously. There's affordable housing finance things like that. But when I do read books, uh, you know, I am a fan of Malcolm Gladwell and, and kind of uh, looking at a problem differently and being creative uh, for its solution. That's awesome. I'm uh, I'm interviewing Michael Novogratz next week. Yeah, I'll tell him you're a fan of his publications. 
Uh, Malcolm Gladwell is awesome. Yeah, I'm, 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 he has a podcast series up too. Speaking of which, yeah. any podcast recommendations? How I Built This, Guy Raz. Love that Love one. It. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. definitely my favorite. Men's Warehouse. That's the best one. That's good suits, a good podcast. It's a good podcast. You got to listen to that one. <laughs> Fascinating. That's it's, a real it's one? The, it's the guy. Yeah, it's the guy who built Men's Warehouse. Oh, that. Oh, yeah, yes, 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 yes. That one's really good. Yeah. There's <laughs> also the one where that, uh, not the the dance, the, the oh, exercise dance. Uh, that yeah, one too. Zumba? Zumba, Zumba yeah. Zumba. Yeah. Yep. Like I didn't speak uh, English. Yeah, yeah, they came over Something and did like, like video videos and stuff like that. And like <laughs> yeah, awesome. VHS cassettes. It's pretty awesome. Uh, what do you guys like to do outside of work besides Zumba? Zach. Uh, I've got two little girls. They're five and three. Uh, you know, I spend every waking hour uh, trying to be with them, do fun stuff outdoors. And uh, that's that's really what I enjoy. How are you, yeah. Andrew? I'm in the same boat. I got two boys and, uh, you know, ferrying them around to various sporting uh, events and you know, we've got a little place in the country and we go out there and shoot guns and fish and uh, camp and um, just, you know, enjoying it while, while they're young. It is cliche, but it, it, they, they do grow up fast. That's for sure. How old are they? Uh, 12 and 10. All right. I got the 10 year old too. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um, what advice would you give to your 20 year old self? Oh man, <laughs> don't do anything different. <laughs> yeah. I am good. hundred huh? percent. I mean, I think a lot of this, this success in this business is, is, you know, certainly working hard is important and, uh, and, you know, being in the right place is important, but man, there's a lot of luck involved too. And uh, for me, that was certainly the case. How about you, Zach? I think don't be afraid to fail. You know, just get out there, you know, put your idea out in the world and, and do your best. And, and, you know, you'll fail, you'll fall on your face, but, you know, you'll you'll learn a whole lot from that experience. And and that's way more valuable than, than any success probably could be. Yeah. I understand that, man. I tried to, yeah, I was, I had more fear of failing than of, What's the, what's the, I was motivated less by success and more by more by fear of failing. Yeah. Um, which is sucks. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, what do you, I am a recruiter, right? And so people listening to this are probably, some of them are trying to look for jobs or trying to figure out career moves. What do you guys look for in hiring people and or like partnerships? I mean, how'd you, what'd you guys, what attracted you guys to each other as far as being real estate partners? I mean, I think, I think, yeah, I think, uh, I think that, um, we've, you know, we've partnered with a lot of people over the years and we've always found that it just, you know, if, if somebody or a company or a group has the exact same skill set as we do, it's not a great partnership. And so in this case, uh, with Zach, I would say that, you know, he, he knows this business, um, pretty much in and out. It does seem that he, he that, that things don't go exactly like he says they're going to go all the time, but that's okay. Everybody's uh, you know got to learn and things change. But um, you know, he's he's got a skill set that we don't have and we have a skill set that he doesn't have. Um, although he's getting there. He might not need us. That leads that leads right into my answer. My answer is the ability to to adapt 
Yeah, it's not <laughs> always going to go perfectly A to B to C. Uh, a true, uh, a true quality that I look for in a, in a partner and somebody is is uh, you know making the best out of out of what you've got. Nice, good answers. Well, Andrew Basham from Spyrock and Zach Frederick from Crescent Development, thanks for coming on the podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the TBG Real Estate Podcast. Please visit us online at tbg-realestate.com or on Instagram at tbg.realestate. Until next time, have a great week.